So welcome to the ESPN Player College Football Podcast uh, in association with Gridiron. I'm Simon Clancy, along with Gridiron editor Matthew Sherry. Matt, let's get right to it. Cupcake week in college football, the sort of the, the calm before this weekend storm. And we'll get to said storm later in the week with our preview podcast, where we'll also hear from two of Michigan's big defensive players ahead of their huge game against Ohio State, Chase Winovich and Rashan Gary. But this weekend, we called it Cupcake Weekend. We thought there might be an upset specifically Notre Dame against Syracuse. It didn't turn out that way at all, did it? Notre Dame 36, Syracuse 3. Pure domination from the Irish, who are now one game away in the LA Coliseum at the weekend against a totally failing USC team from the college football playoff. And the inevitability that that brings, potentially at the expense of some other teams, which we shall, which we shall talk about soon. But a dominant performance from Brian Kelly's side. Yeah, and I, I feel like we've been a little bit more critical of them than the than the maybe they deserve on the podcast. In that we've we've consistently doubted them. Look and, at you and, changing and your tune. Ah, <laughs> no, but I, what I'm about to say is, I still really do doubt them a little bit. It's it's kind of been a perfect season for them in that certain things have just happened, and it's fallen in such a way that it, it's just worked out for them. But I, you can't criticize them for that. I mean. You know, it's not like UCF as we discussed previously as to whether they should be a top four team and decided they shouldn't because of the the schedule they've put together. I mean, there is no way that Notre Dame could have looked at this schedule and thought the Florida State and USC would be what they are. And and then within the season, things like Eric Dungey getting injured so early in this game, you know, it, it just seems to have fallen that way for them. Tommy DeVito could not move that Syracuse offense in the way that Eric Dungey has been able to. So it, it felt. I mean, had they put in that performance with Dungey under centre, you'd have said that was really the statement that we've been looking for. Clem- um, Syracuse were up to number 12 in the rankings. We mentioned how they'd given Clemson trouble earlier in the in the podcast. So, so, so it's a hard one. I just think they're a really tough team to judge. The one thing I would say about Notre Dame that I feel like maybe I underestimated a little bit because I think that that week one game against Michigan was a great time to get them is their pass rush. And their defence generally is actually really good. And it's been really good throughout the season. And Ian Buck, you know, he's been one of the best three, four, five quarterbacks in college football. And you can't argue with those things. But part of me does still think that we're going to get into a playoff game and they're going to get absolutely slaughtered. As it stands stands today, they will play Clemson. That defence led by Jerry Tillery with Julian Love at cornerback and and those pass-rushing defensive ends that we talked about would give are still inexperienced, even though he's been terrific generally, but are still inexperienced Trevor Lawrence, some trouble, wouldn't they? And you look at the game that Lawrence played on Saturday night against Duke. Clemson were, you know, they obviously did more than enough to win, but they were off. Lawrence was off on a number of throws. He must have had seven or eight drop passes. Travis Etienne and, uh, and, and Feaster didn't run with the authority that we'd expect them to, to run with and that we've seen over previous weeks. So, as much as I agree with you, I think Notre Dame still could find their way into the national championship game by virtue of a, a of a great defensive performance against a, a very young Clemson offense. Yeah, and the, the, I mean they have got pieces. That the thing with Notre Dame is, I don't think that we're actually saying that Notre Dame are, are necessarily a bad team, but we're just not going to believe it because you haven't seen it in against the kind of competition that you want to see it against for for a team to get into the playoff. And and that's the issue with 
them being an independent school is, you know, if you're in a conference, regardless of regardless of anything else, you're probably going to stack up at least two big wins because generally you're going to have two good teams in your conference that year. It feels like Notre Dame this year have played one outstanding playoff caliber team, but they got them in week one and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the the biggest, it wasn't a blowout. It was a seven point game in the end. And then, and then after that, they've literally just played a, a lot of premier programs who were having real down years. So, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt for me that Notre Dame deserve to be in the Final Four. I mean, they're unbeaten. And, and really, I mean, you know, in any other year, they would probably be in the, in the running for number, number one overall in the, in the rankings. But one thing I wanted to mention this week, Si, I can't remember a season with three unbeaten teams in recent years. And it mm. seems like that, that's what we're going to get unless Bama gets knocked off in the SEC Championship game, which would be a major surprise. I mean... I thought one of one or two of these three teams would would lose a game, and and frankly, you, based on what we've seen the last two or three seasons, you thought everyone would lose. So it's I think it's an unusual year for college football in that sense as well. Here's a quick quiz for you. I just want yes or no answers. I'm going to go through the top ten, and I want you to I want you to tell me yes or no whether you think Notre Dame would beat these teams. Ohio State, number ten. Yes. Oklahoma. Yes. LSU. Yes. Wow. Washington State. You, I'd, I'd, um, Washington State is probably just a yes, as much as I love Washington State. You, you know I said yes or no answers only. <laughs> yeah. UCF. Yes. Georgia. No. Michigan. No. Clemson. No. And Alabama. No. The interesting thing... Uh, the one, the ones I struggled with, LSU I struggled with, but I, I just feel like LSU's offense would have similar problems moving the ball against Notre Dame and Notre Dame have a better quarterback, ultimately. The, That's what it would come down to. The interesting thing about this situation that we find ourselves with, with, with the playoff uh, and moving into the essentially the final week of the regular season is that... What's likely to happen tomorrow night is that the, the college rankings will come out and the top four will stay the same. Alabama 1, Clemson 2, Notre Dame 3, Michigan 4. If everybody, if, if the status quo and Notre Dame beat, um, Notre Dame beat um, USC, Michigan beat Ohio State, which we'll get to, uh, Alabama win this weekend against Auburn, Clemson finish up the season unbeaten, we will find ourselves in a situation where if Georgia beat Alabama in the SEC championship game, there is no way that Georgia cannot be in the top four. Yeah. Right? There is no way also. And then the question unless is it's Alabama an absolute, or Michigan. Well, unless it's an absolute blowout, you know, let's say they win 52-3 or something. And even at that point, I think it's unlikely that Alabama would fall to the fifth seed. You are potentially looking at a Michigan side being knocked out of the playoff through no fault of their own. Is that a fair, fair Having point? run the table, yeah, it is, and that would be having run the table in the Big Ten and having lost to an unbeaten team on the road in week one by seven points. The, it would be easily the most unfair situation we've seen in the, in the CFP era. Can I say devil's advocate then, in that uh, playoff voters might argue that, that Michigan's standout victories 
and we're assuming that they beat Ohio State this weekend. But standout victories would come against a Penn State side for whom, to all intents and purposes, their season was finished in terms of the national scale. And Ohio, does, does that let me get finish. Let me finish. No, no, no. By... Let me, just let me finish. Yeah. And the, the victory against Ohio State would similarly come against a team that cannot win the national championship. I'm playing devil's advocate here, but that I think that could be an argument that that voters would make and could make. Yeah, they could. I mean, I think it gets undermined by the fact that Penn State have have been really impressive since getting a real beatdown. I mean, that was the game we were at. Say it was. Yeah. It was. I mean, just it wasn't a close game in any way, shape, or form. So Penn State have actually rebounded from that and, and won some games. Um, I mean, as for Ohio State, I mean, Ohio State can win the national championship as much as I disagree with it. Because if Ohio State win this week um, they, and they're a one-loss team and then they win the Big Ten championship game, because they're Ohio State and because Urban Meyer's the head coach, I have absolutely no doubt that they would... I think they'd get in, frankly. I cannot see them jump in Georgia. I cannot see them jumping Oklahoma. And yeah, frankly, they'd be, they'd be held to pay for. Too... They'd be held to pay for though if Washington State and UCF didn't get in and Ohio State did. Especially Washington I, State. I still think it would happen. I, I think that would just make a mockery of the whole of the whole it, situation. It, it should do. I mean, I, I agree. I don't think that they should get in. But I mean, I, the point I'm making is I don't think there's anybody in Columbus who thinks that their national championship dreams in a theoretical sense, are over. I mean, they might internally know they're over because they're nowhere near good enough. But if they've got one loss, regardless of how bad that loss is, I could see the committee favouring a Big Ten schedule over a Pac-12 or a Big or a Big 12. And also, I mean, so Georgia, they definitely wouldn't leapfrog, but then Georgia, we're assuming, is going to be a two-loss team in the discussion, and at that point, that's Georgia out of the conversation. I can't and see a team. And then Oklahoma. I, no, I do can't you think see Oklahoma will still have one loss. Uh, no, I think they'll. I think they'll beat either Texas or West Virginia in the rematch we'll against Texas. But I, I or Houston. But I, I cannot see a team that was beaten forty nine twenty by a by Purdue as. A, a, a cognizant national championship side, and the a side, a, a side that essentially went to overtime to beat a five and six Maryland side. That I mean, that that would just be ludicrous. That would be ludicrous. The whole, yeah, it would. The I, whole I, thing, I agree. the whole sphere of college football would just go into absolute meltdown. You know, the Paul Feinbaum radio show, social media, all those things would be absolutely. I, I just could not foresee a situation where that happened. I I, I can't see Ohio State making the, the, the playoff. The only thing is, though, I mean, I, I could see Washington State losing to Washington on Friday, and I could see, you know, I could see Oklahoma losing either to West Virginia or in any potential championship game if they, if they get to that point. So, I, I mean, you could have a scenario where, really, if Georgia then lose an SEC championship game where Ohio State is basically the only one lost team left, unless they're going to put UCF in. So, I just, I just think that I mean, the Ohio, point, the, Ohio State's number 10. They're not going to go any higher this week. So they would have to jump, they'd have to leapfrog LSU, Oklahoma, Washington State, Georgia, West Virginia are obviously going to fall, to get into the top four, and Michigan. I, I just can't see that happening. Can't see it happening. I, I, I hope it doesn't happen, because I think, like you, I think it would undermine everything they've built in the last few years. I think it, it would be ridiculous. I, I mean, I think Oklahoma would blow out Ohio State. Ohio's... 
I think Oklahoma will blow out yeah, Ohio do, yeah. State on a neutral field. And I think Washington well, you, State would as well. Yeah, I mean, you've just done that question with Notre Dame. If you ask me Ohio State against any of the other nine teams, and, and, and it's a slightly different conversation ahead of this week for the Michigan game because that's the one game Ohio State are going to get themselves up for and there's still huge talent. But generally, week to week, if you asked me against any of those other nine teams, I would say that I wouldn't back them to win the game. By the way, that's how, they've been awful this year. Your point about Penn State having bounced back with two impressive... I mean, they, they beat Wisconsin by 11, of an average Wisconsin side, and beat Rutgers by 11. Not hugely impressive performances. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't... I wouldn't... The Penn State is, game is not a result I'd, I'd hang my, hang my hat, hat on by any stretch of the imagination. I think with Michigan, it becomes a body of work discussion in terms of, you know, running the table in the Big Ten is no easy feat, especially once you get into Big Ten play. I mean, there's, it's, it's, like, it's like the SEC in that there's a lot of teams who... I mean, even Indiana last week, they, they, Indiana were a decent football team. That wasn't like playing the Citadel or anyone like that. Outside of Rutgers, I would say most of the Michigan Big Ten slate has been legit decent programs where at the worst their opponent is hovering around, you know, around five and five or something like that. And Penn State, to be fair to them, are, are still going to be ranked. I think they were 14 last week. They're still going to be in the top 15. So come come the point where voters are deciding, Penn State will still be a top 15 program at that point. What, so, did, you, what did you think? I mean, Go on, sorry. I would argue for Michigan all the time. However, if Georgia win the SEC championship game close over Alabama, then there's no way for me that you can argue for Michigan in the top four. Because you can't put them in over Notre Dame, who have beaten them, regardless of whether it was... Maybe if that was a one-point game, then you could do it. But the reality is that as much as it was a seven-point game, Notre Dame pretty much dominated that game. And I don't think that was a true representation of what Michigan have been this season, because it was week one. But... You know, it happened. So you can't argue that. Clemson, I would have argued about three weeks ago. Um, and I still don't think... I think Clemson's schedule is actually worse than anyone's of this top four. But they've looked so good the last few weeks. They've been Alabama-level dom- dominant the last few weeks. So if, if, if that situation arises with Georgia winning a tight SEC championship game, it, it, it is what it is. Michigan have to be number five, I think. What do Wolf, Wofford, Chattanooga, Towson, East Tennessee State and Furman have in common? Um, that they uh, lost to the Citadel. They beat the Citadel. <laughs> no, beat the Citadel. So at yeah. halftime on Saturday when it was the Citadel 10, Alabama 10 in Tuscaloosa, what was happening in your head I mean, frankly, I just was feeling sorry for the Alabama players because you I'd have loved to have been a fly in the wall in on, in that locker room at halftime. It's all that that's almost like Nick Saban's wet dream coming to fruition <laughs> this season, isn't it? Like you know, you've had it so easy, and he hates it. I mean, the one thing that riles Nick Saban more than anything at a press conference is reporters. Is reporters in a, in, in a, yeah <laughs> reporters, but when they're speaking in assumed tone about them winning games, he absolutely hates it. So that was his dream scenario to go in and give them players what for at halftime in that game. But, I mean, insane story. I don't think enough has been said about it. Like, as much as as much as much Alabama did what Alabama do in the second half, the the, the, the running of the triple option and the mm. way they ran it and, and, and not even needing to pass the ball and, and hanging with Alabama, who I think might be the most dominant 
college football team I've ever seen in a single season and being level at half-time is an incredible story. I wrote about it in the column Clancy on Campus this week that I don't understand why more teams in the SEC don't follow the lead of the Citadel in terms of running that triple option, which did two things. It kept Tua Tungavala and that offense off the field. It also tired out the Alabama defense. They threw the ball twice all day, both passes incomplete. Why, if you were not a Mississippi State or a Florida or a Georgia, would you not essentially replicate, let's say, for example, what the Miami Dolphins did in 2008 with that infamous wildcard game in Foxborough against the Patriots and just run something completely different that just took Alabama completely by surprise? Because th- those defenders, as good as they are, you know, the Mac Wilsons and the Quinn and Williams and, and guys like that, Deontay Tott, they were all looking around thinking, I don't know how we def- how do we defend this? That was the point, wasn't it? That the, the Citadel were able to control. That, you know, I think that's a, I think that's a great point. Oh, thanks. Especially, mate. especially like you know, like if you if you think about a team like LSU who loaded with athletes, mm. but but actually don't have a a quarterback who, as much as I think he's done a good job, I don't think they have a quarterback who you're thinking let's let's let him win us the game. But why, why if you're if you're not Dan Mullen, for example, why would you not look at the game next year? Whatever day it is, let's say it's October the 7th, just for argument's sake, and think, you know what? When I get these kids back, I'm going to practice for one session a day every yeah. week from, from April until October, a triple option attack. Nobody's going to know about it. We're never going to run it until October the 7th. And then against Alabama, all we do is run the triple option all game, all game long. You only have to do it one game, and then it knocks, out, it knocks them out. You know, because you've got better athletes. And and, and Alabama are becoming that kind of machine where people need to start thinking outside the box to beat them. I mean, because these teams are turning up to turning up knowing they're going to lose. I mean, moral victory is losing by fourteen to Alabama. Exactly. Exactly. And and if the Citadel can do it to the level of of being of being right there, I mean, they missed a field goal to go ahead just after the half. So if the Citadel can do that, imagine if you put that into a team with much better athletes and. And like three, these most teams have three decent running backs. Most big time programs. I mean, I, I I've never agreed with anything you've said, more. And I can't <laughs> really understand why. There's no reason for me why you wouldn't do it outside of a little bit of a little bit of pig headed pig headedness and not wanting to to kind of give that. Over to Alabama, almost. That's a big statement, given that we've just been on holiday together for two weeks. I'm, I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> That's true. That is true. <laughs> um, let me ask you this then. If um, if UCF beat a ranked team against Cincinnati, if UCF, I mean, what what possible way can they break through what clearly is a glass ceiling that is keeping them in or out of the playoff? Is there nothing that they could do? I mean, they're going to need... I mean, Alabama would need to absolutely hammer Georgia. Ohio State would need to beat Michigan. And then Ohio State would need to, to lose the, the Big Ten championship game. Oklahoma would need to crash against Texas and then lose the, the Big 12 championship game. Uh, Clemson would have to fall against Pittsburgh in the ACC championship game. Um, you know, LSU would probably have to lose again. Uh, I don't lot... think it's that extreme, actually. Do you not? Know no, I, I genuinely believe... Just say Ohio State beat Michigan this week and it becomes like a, you know, it's a game like two years ago where Ohio State win a close game on a controversial call or something like that, which, let's be honest, when those two teams made, that could easily be the outcome on Saturday and the, and the, the reason for the outcome. 
If that happens and Oklahoma lose any of their, their, their two remaining games and Washington State lose to Washington, then for me, UCF are the next man up if, if Georgia lose in the SEC championship game. I think when you get to the point of putting two lost teams in over a team that's been unbeaten for two years, it's too much. And for me, then the 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 question would be, is it Ohio State or is it UCF? And based on everything we've seen this season, even with a win against Michigan, I would argue the case for UCF. I mean, their, their win against Pitt, who the blew out, I think, at the end of September, yeah, maybe? 45 Pitt- 10 Pitt didn't start the season well, but ultimately it, that doesn't matter too much. Their win against Pitt is getting better by the week. I mean, Pitt now are, are going to be high in the... Well, they're going to be in the rankings this week. I don't know where they were at last week, but the, you would think they'll be in and around where Syracuse were before this week, potentially. I mean, they've put together three or four great weeks on the bounce now. So I, I don't think it's that impossible for UCF. A lot of things need to go their way, but I'm not sure it's as many... I mean, it, I, I think it would be totally unfair if, if UCF didn't get in in a two-loss LSU, Texas, Georgia, any of the, those teams got in. I have no appetite to see a two-loss team in the CFP at the expense of UCF, and, I, and I, I would hope that the voters don't either. What about Oklahoma? If you are Lincoln Riley, how concerned are you to give up 40 points to a very, very bad Kansas team? Very, and by the way, if I was a voter, I would vote for UCF over a one-loss Oklahoma. Because I, I just don't see it with Oklahoma. At least with UCF, you know, you see them put defensive games together in which you think, well, this team is a lot more well-rounded than we think. And admittedly, there's other games where they don't do that, that Temple game that we watched being won. But I just, I have a hard time with Oklahoma. And I, I'm as big a Kyler Murray fan as I know. I think their offense is incredible. I love Lincoln Riley. But it's too much now. I mean, it's too much of playing bad teams and, and getting 600 yards hung on them every week. I mean, that that to me is not the sign of a good team. You'd, especially at this point in the year when your execution is generally at its best, you want to see teams who who can at least execute to a level on both sides of the ball. And I just don't see that with Oklahoma. I mean, what, what do you think, Si? Do you think, who would you rather see in? A, 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 a no-loss UCF or a one-loss Oklahoma, based upon what we've seen this season? Um. I'm with you. I like Kyla Murray. I'd much rather see UCF because I know that Oklahoma just couldn't, you know, couldn't live with with Alabama. They couldn't stop. I mean, Alabama would score in every single possession. I mean, I think yeah. I, if I'm going to be truthful, I think the best four teams, i.e., the most competitive playoff, would probably be Alabama, Clemson, Michigan, and Georgia. I think the next three best teams in no particular order, would be Notre Dame, UCF, and Washington State. I suspect yeah. that none of those three teams could probably beat any of the top four sides, but I do think that Washington State and UCF, by the very nature of how they play, i.e. Washington State, the Mike Leach offense with Gardner Minshew just having a, just a supreme season, and UCF with Mackenzie Milton doing similar things, I think that they could be a threat to any of those teams, perhaps yeah, not Alabama. I I, but I think I, I would, I would prefer, I would more fancy the chances of Washington State and UCF against Alabama than I would Oklahoma. I, I would love. I mean, I would absolutely love a Washington State, this Washington State team in the playoff, and it, it really irritates me 
that this is with with Gardner Minshew is a one year thing because I just think it's such a shame that there's never been a greater advertisement for the eight team playoff than this Washington State team, who by the way are actually themselves improving by the week on defense. I mean, and this is a Mike Leach team where you think only of the offense and they've got a Heisman candidate, a quarterback, but their defense is getting better by the week. I mean, you're talking about looking for a team that's well-rounded. I agree with you. I, I think that Washington State are the team outside of who will end up on the outside looking in, who, who, frankly, I'd be more excited to watch in the playoff than Notre Dame. And even Michigan, as much as I'm a Michigan fan, Michigan, you know, their formula is what it is, which is playing great defense. They're really annoyingly conservative on offense. Give me that Washington State team in a game against Alabama and watch how, you know, if Michigan play Alabama, which is the likely outcome of a, of a semi-final, it could be a close game, but you know that Michigan are not going to do anything to really punch Alabama in the mouth unless we see a totally different Michigan to what we've seen in the in the Jim Harbaugh era. They're going to play their, their cautious brand of football. Give me Washington State, Alabama around New Year. That would be great mm. to watch. and it, it would, it would genu- genuinely be the kind of game where you really wouldn't know what was to come, and I think that, that would be exciting. I think what's fascinating is that Washington State the strength on the West Coast now. Mike Leach, obviously a great recruiter, great coach. That's certainly going to help in terms of, you know, bringing in players to that program as we go on. And then, you know, we talk about Gardner Minshew, the, the graduate student, the 6'2", 220-pound quarterback. But you look at you look at some of the players, you know, quarterbacks, for example, that that Leach has got coming through. You know, Cameron Cooper, one of the, um, one of the most impressive freshman quarterbacks in terms of uh, what he did in high school, uh, was named uh, Utah's Gatorade Player of the Year, Mr. Football on, on the West Coast, um, Elite 11 kind of quarterback. Um, he's got another freshman quarterback whose name escapes me at the moment. He's got Drew Bledsoe's son in there. Um, you know, there are, there are some very interesting names who can continue what they've started um, John Bledsoe, I think, is Drew's son. They can continue what's been started um, this year by Minshew and last year by Luke Falk. I, I feel like the Mike Leach Washington State team are are kind of you know here to stay. Connor Neville is the other highly rated freshman quarterback there. It, it feels like they're they're not just a one season wonder. Yeah, I, I just think that. I mean, the the other thing is that for all those quarterbacks, they've got Mike Leach. He doesn't need Tua, a quarterback, to to put a good offense on the field. And I mean, we've seen that as great a story as Minshew has been. Like, you know, there's a reason nobody could see this coming, and and this kind of thing only happens with that great a coach. I mean, I think that whole division, as much as everyone's down on the Pac-12, give me it in two years' time with Leach. Now, who seems to have established not just a good team but a good program, as you're suggesting that has year-to-year development. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about UCLA, USC, but I think that Chip Kelly, as bad as it was at the start, there is no team I'm more looking forward to seeing next season than UCLA because given the the amount of freshmen on that team, the, the lack of scholarship players on that team, you know, to beat USC, no matter what shape they're in, is impressive, and to do what they do in the, the last few weeks is impressive. So I'm really excited to see... Uh, a division with with two great innovative minds in in Chip Kelly, Mike Leach, to go alongside. You know, there's some other good programs: David Shaw's Stanford, Mario Cristobal's Oregon, that's coming on. Chris Peterson's Washington. I actually think the arrow for the next few years might be pointing up a little bit on a on a division everybody's down on at the moment. Four quick things to get through before we get out of here. The first is uh, Florida State. Willie Taggart's first big win. Uh, 
at FSU, the, the lowest crowd in, in Tallahassee for many, many years. But they, they held on to beat, or they came from behind to beat Boston College um, 21-20, thanks to DeAndre Francois' 74-yard touchdown to Tamori and Terry at the end of the game. A, a tremendous throw. Um, is this uh, a sort of spotlight, a glimpse of the future? And that there is future for Willie Taggart and Florida State, or is this just a one-off? I think it's. I, I, I think it's a one-off. I would put it personally down to this is who Boston College are as mm. a program. In that, you know, even the good seasons, they will lose games like this. And and frankly, it's interesting to see if if Boston College is Adazio's on the hot seat now because you know this is what Boston College have done now throughout his tenure, and I, I feel like this is one of the. It's going to be an interesting year this year because it actually didn't feel like it was going to be that heavy. A coaching market, but actually now you've got USC that might come up. I, I genuinely would be stunned if Evan May is still at Ohio State after this season. Yeah, I mean the guy genuinely looks like he's going to collapse every other play on the sideline at the moment. But I think Boston College is another se- semi decent job that could could become available as well because I, I think that people are a little bit. It's been the same script for Boston College and. And I wouldn't read too much into Florida State's win because of that. Because frankly, the week before they were a they were complete embarrassment. So I, I don't know what you think. You you keep closer tabs on Florida State than me, but I need to see it with Willie Taggart generally. It's yeah, a big program, I agree. Because I, I just I just think he got that job on the basis of a of a resume that didn't deserve it. I agree. Two head coaching changes. Les Miles in at Kansas. Just phenomenal to see the hat back, isn't it? Because he's he's a great coach. And I've seen people criticise this at every corner. I mean, Stuart Mandel from The Athletic, I read a column today in which he just slated it, calling Miles yesterday's man and suggesting that there was no way Miles would innovate and he's 65. I mean, why can't he innovate? And also, even if he doesn't innovate, even if he is just a guy who recruits well and becomes the face of a programme, it's Kansas. I mean, what, what else are they hoping for? I get that everybody wants a young head coach, but I'm probably going to watch Kansas early next season and there was no way that was happening before last week. So it, that's what you want, isn't it? Eyes on the programme and eyes on the programme leads to recruiting. I just I think it's great to have him back. He's a great character and has been a great coach who won a national championship mm. like 10 years ago and was, was in a national championship game. Eight years ago, yeah, exactly. Maybe, maybe eight Six, years seven, ago. Eight and years, also, yeah. that, that was a year that LSU had a legit argument to still be the best team in mm. college football because they'd already beaten Alabama. Bama were lucky to get ranked number two to play them again. So as much as that wasn't a close national championship game, LSU could easily have won another one had the cards fallen differently that year. Colorado started the season 5-0. and uh, Stephen Montez and LaVishka Chenault specifically playing well. They've not won a game since. Mike McIntyre now out at Colorado. What on earth has gone wrong in Boulder? I mean, Chenault getting injured didn't help. It, it coincided with it. I mean, I think they'd lost a game or two before then, but certainly that continued it on. But, I mean, it, talk about just a, a complete implosion. That was a team who were were in the mix to win the, win the whole, win the whole Pac-12 and, and everything seemed good. That's another job that definitely is now available. And also, I think that's quite an attractive job. I mean, I, mm. I know you have a, a soft spot for Colorado, but that feels like, especially for guys who... I mean, I saw I saw Dana Dana Holgerson linked with the job going there from from West Virginia. He's got ties in the area, so I I could see them them getting it getting some good candidates in there. Especially, I mean, Chenault is the kind of game breaking talent as well that it'd be cool to coach him for a couple of years. And yeah, I think that is a really 
really attractive job. One of the names interestingly, interestingly mentioned today is Urban Meyer. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that maybe maybe a job like that where a little bit more of Because the other thing with Urban Meyer that, that I wonder, it's, it's not just his health. How how big an appetite within that program is there to keep Urban Meyer after this season? And I get what he's done for them. I get he won that national championship early. But actually, the last few years, as much as they've been really good, Ohio State's standards are always national championship. They, they haven't been competitive in a playoff game since winning the national championship. The off-the-field stuff is just a terrible look all the way around the program, the way that unfolded. And then actually this season, is especially if they lose... If they lose big to Michigan on Saturday, which based on how the two teams are playing at the moment should happen, then is there, based on the off the field stuff, that much of a desire to keep Urban Meyer? And is there a scenario where maybe he almost gets pushed out the door and takes a job like that? Mm. I think it's an option. I'm going to give you three names. Matt Wells, the Utah State coach, um, who apparently athletic director Rick George is very fond of. He's a bit of a showman, a bit of a... Big personality, and obviously Utah State having a, a really good season. Um, five bowls, I think, in the last six seasons now uh, over there, which I think is great. Holgerson is a very interesting name. You know, Will Greer departing for the NFL. Is it really ever going to get that much better at, at, at West Virginia? Uh, um, yeah, at West It feels Virginia. like he's hit the absolute ceiling of what he can do, and he's yeah. done it for a number of years now at West Virginia. I mean, that's been a consistent program now for, for multiple years, yeah. but I, I don't feel like he can take them any further than where they've been this season. I think the one name to keep an eye on is Eric Bionami, the former running back, former alum, obviously, um, who's now offensive coordinator with the arguably the best offense in the NFL, which is the Kansas City Chiefs. If he doesn't get a head coaching job in the NFL, I think he would be a, uh, a very, very uh, interesting name um, for Colorado. And I think he'd be a name, the fa- you know, a sentimental favorite, I think would be the, would be the, I've, the term. I've got a name of a guy who I think will get it. Go on. Uh, Brian Harson from Boise State. Yeah. He was like 51 and 10 or something in his years at Boise. And also has, has had interest before, but has, has decided that he, he's only going to take a, the right job. And I wonder whether whether that becomes the right job. I mean, I, I, I just feel like that would be a nice fit. I'm told that he's not the magnetic personality that, that Rick George is after. But we shall see. I mean, he will almost certainly now get the job, given that I've said it, but... Uh, Mike Norville at Memphis is another name to throw in there. Um, anyway, um, in one word, because we're going to do it later in the week in our second podcast, in one word, give me the game that you are most excited about this weekend that isn't Michigan against Ohio State. <laughs> uh, undoubtedly. I mean, so undoubtedly that I'm going to stay up and watch it because I'm not sure it's on ESPN player, but Washington, Washington State is... And the fact that it's on Friday night makes it even better for me. Oh, it's so great. Pumped for that. Fantastic. Matt? As always, thank you. We shall be back later in the week. Uh, don't forget, ESPN Player for all your needs. 700 games this season. On-demand system. If you're if you're getting into the draft and you want to look back at some of the players and some of the quarterbacks that might be coming out, it's the absolute best way to do it with the on-demand system. You've got documentaries on there. The, uh, a flood of ESPN 30 for 30s. I was telling somebody in the office this week um, uh, and kind of pointing out all the, um, all the different 30 for 30s that you could watch. And then he got a subscription. Uh, it is your definitive home for college football. Do not miss out. We shall be back later in the week. We shall hear from Chase Winovich and Rashan Gary ahead of a massive game against Ohio State. Thank you, as always, for listening. See you later in the week. Good work, buddy boy. Thanks, mate. Um, 